Hey Trojan fans, uh, get ready for a new edition of Tunnel Vision. This is the podcast version of it, but we went live on Wednesday night. Keely, your shotgun, Spratling, and myself, Ryan Abraham, for the first time since May, doing a Tunnel Vision show. So hope you enjoy it. But also wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's, before we get into the show. I like checking out their Instagram page. They usually have some cool stuff, uh, recipes. I like the double IPA they got in there. It's a bosun. Uh, double IPA. It's spelled Boatswain, but that's like a deck boss on a boat. But you just call it a bosun, and uh, the beer looks really good. It's got an amber kind of color to it, which is right up my alley, but I think something you can check out. But you can go to the Trader Joe's website, TraderJoe's.com, or check out on their Instagram feed. Lots of cool stuff. Neat ideas if you're having people over or anything like that. But Trader Joe's has been great to us over the years, so hopefully you guys can check them out. Now, on to the show. Everybody, and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. Guys, we haven't had one of these in a long time. Not only are we back, but you two are back sitting next to each other. It's yes. very exciting. We're in the same room. Wow. It's all good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm happy to be back. I don't think Shotgun's happy. No, but I don't I'm think happy. so either. He smells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just make sure you two behave. I know sometimes you can get a little feisty. So make sure sharp you elbows, sharp elbows, sharp over here. elbows. Indeed. That's his advice for everything. Yeah, it's actually true. <laughs> uh, well, we have a fun show for you guys today. We have a lot to talk about. We haven't talked to you guys in basically two months. So there's a lot to to talk about, including USC's summer workouts or PRPs. We've been able to quote unquote see them. Uh, we've been standing outside and watching the players uh, come to and fro uh, Howard Jones Field and Cromwell Field. So we have some observations, so we'll talk about that. We've also been able to talk to players in person without Zoom or a computer or anything for the first time since, I believe, March of 2020. So we've gotten some insights into the team and where they're at right now uh, two weeks before fall camp starts. It's crazy to believe uh, we're that close to football. And then we'll talk about Pac-12 Media Day. That's next week, next Tuesday. Uh, the Pac-12 announced that Keen Slovis and Drake London will be representing USC. So we'll talk about that. As always, you guys can call us, 5124-TUNNEL. If you missed us, you can just call and say hi. Actually, no. Hopefully you have a question for us. That'd be great. Uh, you can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. Wherever you're watching, I believe YouTube, Facebook, and whatever the Periscope, Twitter Live. It's Twitter Live. Twitter Live That's thing. That's going. I believe uh, we're live on all three platforms. And I think I have, yeah, it looks, we're live, but I think I have your comments up on YouTube and Facebook, so I'll try to get that going. So if we can put some of your comments up on the screen. Cool, cool. We'll do that. If you if you have a question, put like question on there so it's easier to see because there's a lot of like people talking about whatever we say. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll be monitoring all of that. So be sure to mm. put your comments, questions, concerns. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, but guys, like I said, we're back. Tunnel vision. I feel like someone tweeted at me 
television being back means that football is right around the corner. And I have to agree. I mean, we're getting close to, to some real uh, practices. It sounded like from what we heard from Clay Helton when he walked past the PRP, we'll be able to see it. He said it'll be getting normal. So I believe we'll be able to see practice soon. I think so. Yeah, it's, it's that time. Now, we don't usually take this much time off tunnel vision. I went out of the country for a little while. We sort of had a lot of, you know, Chuck and does his baseball hiatus. We had a lot of kind of stuff going all at once. Plus the end of the pandemic stuff. Now it's better. Well, we thought that, you know, the mask mandate would be gone in L.A. It was gone, and now it's back. But anyway, it's back, and we're going to be back with Tunnel Visions. We're going to get back to two in a week when uh, when the season starts, but we'll have fall camp stuff going on. we got a few more player-run practices. At least we get to see the players. I got some, we got some pictures of their shotgun. Took a lot of cool pictures of the practice, and we get to interview guys. So I got to talk to Keen Slowis yesterday. Uh, shotgun talked to Isaiah Polamau. Uh, Keely, who'd you talk to? Kobe uh, Pepe. Kobe. Oh, yeah, very nice. So, yep. um, so yeah, we, we had interviews up on the site. Lots of stuff going on. Get some real football content up there. So it's been pretty cool. And then, of course, Pac-12 Media Day next week. Pac-12 Media Day. What are you guys expecting for that? Ryan, are you a Pac-12 Media Day guy? 100%. <laughs> really? Oh, my okay. God. I love my spring football, and I love my Pac-12 Media Day. Is this sarcasm? I'm, no, I'm, no, no, I do. Really? Um, so I do the podcast of champions with David Woods, who covers UCLA, and he hates all that stuff. He's like, I'm always watching the spring games on the Pac-12 Network and you know, going to Media Day and paying attention, and he's kind of like, eh, you know, whatever's going on. So we were talking about, we did the show a little earlier today, Shotgun, recording it, and we just got, so at USC yesterday, I asked these two, Hey, who's uh, the player representatives for USC at Pac-12 Media Day? And they're like, I don't know. Uh, go ask the you know sports information guy who was there. So I went and asked them, and he said it's Keen Slovis and Drake London. So we posted it on the Peristyle last night. But they hadn't announced the rest of the Pac-12 players. There were some changes. They you know obviously the mask mandate happened, so they were have to change the way they were doing some of the stuff. Uh, and then earlier today, right before we recorded our podcast, the Pac-12 sent out the release. Like, here's the, the time schedule. Here's uh, the players. And here's the coaches. Obviously, the head coaches. Here's but, the coach that's not going to be there. Yeah. I and then out today so, as well. At the, so it went alphabetical <laughs> order. And then at the bottom, it said Nick Rolovich, Washington State. And it said via Zoom. And I, we're, so we're, I'm reading them off. And I'm like, it didn't say why. I'm like, what the heck's going on? So we're recording the show. And like, okay, this just came out. I guess Nick Rolovich is going to be there. Well, I, that's that sucks because he's someone I'd like to sit down and have lunch with. You know, because you can have lunch with some of the guys. You know, if you got the chance to sit next to Mike Leach when he was around, that was great. Like that was a lot of fun. Well, anyway, while we're recording the show, then the tweets come out. Nick Rolovich is not COVID nineteen vaccinated, and since he's not, he's not allowed to attend Pac twelve Media Day. So it just went from kind of like boring to oh my god, this is like the coolest story ever. Not the coolest, but it's like <laughs> most interesting story ever. Just like, how long it's been since we've had you know actual football, been able to go to things like Pac twelve Media Day. That's the coolest story ever. I know. Right it's now. like so he's being sarcastic, right? And we, he wouldn't say why. He put out a tweet. Wouldn't say why. Uh, why you know he said he's not vaccinated that's why but he's not going to say why he's not vaccinated so uh, and then Washington State came out you know they're they're telling all students faculty and staff you have to be vaccinated to come to campus or you need a, a reason and if you have if you have a reason you can still you can come apparently if they approve it but you have to wear a mask and you have to social distance so it's going to be hard for him to like conduct practices and stuff if he has to wear a mask and social distance from all those players I mean if I'm a recruit the first thing I'm you know, I'm calling him up right now. I'm asking, like, Coach, why are you not doing it? If I'm one of the parents or whatever, like, because, you know, whether, whichever side you, you land on, whether the, the vaccines or not, 
it's a competitive disadvantage not yes. to be because now you have to go through more testing if you're not vaccinated. You know, there's a chance that you know if you have too many COVID uh, positives this year, you could lose a game and not just oh well, it's going to be rescheduled and we can't find a reschedule, then it's just going to be null null and void. No, you're going to forfeit that game. Yeah, if your team's the reason why that happens. So you know, you look at. And I even asked these guys before. I bet I said I jokingly said I bet that Alabama has the highest rate of any vaccinated in the SEC. And I was joking about it. And Ryan's like, "Yep, definitely." Ninety percent, I think they said. Yeah, because Nick Saban knows it's a competitive disadvantage for your team not to be vaccinated to have to go through more testing. You look at a situation with the College World Series. North Carolina State gets put out of the the College World Series. They were in the winners bracket. They played a game with only thirteen players on their team. And then they found out there were more positive tests, so they basically got booted from the College World Series. They were a win away from the Championship Series, and that's you know that's the type of competitive disadvantage you could be at if your team doesn't get vaccinated. So, and obviously you can still catch it if you get vaccinated, everything. But just the the fact that you're going to have less testing and stuff like that is going to be less likely that you could end up losing a bunch of players. There's less contact tracing and stuff like that. So, the po- coaches that are looking at this from a wide scope are saying. It's a competitive advantage if we go get vaccinated. Right. And that's what the commissioners are trying to say at the Big 12 media days, at the SEC media days. They've talked about this. Um, And I'm sure this is going to be a topic of conversation next week at the the Pac-12 media days as well, especially with one of the coaches (laughs) not attending because he is choosing not to be vaccinated. So if I was a recruit being recruited by Washington State, I'm calling up the coach and be like, I didn't know your reason. Yeah. And if they go and try to say some bull crap like, oh, that's a, that's a violation of my HIPAA rights, which is not. That was a dumb thing that was said by someone in Congress <laughs> or something yesterday. But people don't understand what HIPAA rights actually are. That is not how it works. Um, but I'd be like, okay, coach, then it's a violation of my rights as a recruit for you to continue recruiting me if you can't be honest with me about what's going on. Yeah, Even more important than recruits, your current players. Because Nick Saban like, went on TV campaigning so people get vaccinated. Um, and his team is like almost fully vaccinated. And that's like, so he doesn't want to lose games because of it, lose players. If your head coach isn't getting vaccinated and you're on the fence and you know, a lot of players were, and if you need that push from your head coach or the staff to like, you know, I get your concerns. Here's why you should do it. The head coach isn't doing it. And you're like on the fence. You're sure as hell ain't doing it. Right. So, I mean, that's, I think you're putting your team at a competitive disadvantage. If you miss a game, like you could be the only team in the country that, or the conference that misses a game in 2021. That's, that's going to be something. And it's going to go all point back to this, Um, you know, similar to the Arizona state stuff. When all that scandal broke, Arizona state was the only team that missed three games in a row in the PAC 12. Well, they were also flying in recruits from all over the country. You're like, is there a correlation here? If, if Washington state misses a game, you're like, well, your head coach didn't get vaccinated. Like there, a lot of finger pointing is going to be happening. I mean, Washington State also had a lot of COVID issues in 2020, so it doesn't even make sense that why wouldn't you get vaccinated at this point if you've seen what's happened to your team when you don't, you know? I I mean, if you look at it and you go, you know, Nick Saban usually does things right away. What's Nick Saban doing? Oh, he's doing the opposite? You're probably not doing the right thing. <laughs> what would Saban do? You know, as far as the competitive disadvantage there, I mean, it's it's going to be huge for them there. And again, if they do lose some games, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing uh, being directed at Nick Rolovich because of this news coming out. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, that that topic is going to be talked about a lot next week, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the national media, when they come in and stuff, uh, that's going to be a big topic for them. There's going to be a lot of interesting things next week at the Pac-12 Media Day. We'll be talking about it next week as well. We'll have Tunnel Vision back next Wednesday as well after after Media Day is on plug. Tuesday yeah. uh, to let you guys nice. know the schedule going forward. Um, so, you, you know, 
it's it's going to be interesting, and that's it's one of the reasons why a lot of players have got vaccinated. You know, I've talked with a lot of baseball players and some of the coaches. You know, they've had guys that are on the fence, and they've said, you know, why? You know, your players they slowly came around. Now we've got you know we've got a much higher percentage rate. And I was like, oh, why? Why is that? A lot of times the answer would be because they didn't want to be they didn't want to be tested every single day. They yeah. didn't want to you know have the you know the the PRP test uh, uh, or the um, you know, have it means having something sticked up their nose every day. It gets yeah. uncomfortable. They don't want that. So, you know, that's played into it. And we'll see, you know, how that continues to, to progress as the fall goes. But it's going to be fascinating if, if some teams do lose some games because it's not going to be a, you know, a, just a blank slate game. It's going to be a, a loss. It's going to be a forfeiture. Yeah. Yep. And I know you two were big fans of Larry Scott. It's going to be the new... <laughs> It's a joke, of course. Uh, it's going to be the first public, quote-unquote, appearance for the Pac-12's new commissioner, George Klyovkov. Ryan, what are you expecting with that? Yeah, I mean, he, t- he had a funny tweet today about, like, well, because the Texas, like, uh, Oklahoma, yeah. like, rumors or whatever came out, like, Houston Chronicle reported that they could go to the SEC, and he's like, all right, you know, <laughs> here we go. Because uh, if you remember, the Pac-12 was involved in that, too. But he's, you know, he's come into an enormous mess. Uh, he's got to, you know, to have, like, conference realignment stuff going on right before this uh a lot of talk you know criticizing the ncaa for their enforcement stuff you know name image and likeness happening him taking this over right now what if his head coaches not being vaccinated not showing up the media days and doing it via zoom i mean he already had a whole bunch of stuff on his plate i I mean that's going to be probably the most interesting part just to hear what he had to say i thought he's done a great job and what he's you know how he's addressed things before and sometimes you just have to do the opposite of what your predecessor did. Uh, you know, you like Jed Fish out there. Not and, of your predecessor, but if you're following Larry Scott, you automatically do 100%. the opposite. <laughs> but like Jed, so you know, Keeley talked about uh, potential open practices when we talked to Clay Helton. Arizona announced that they were. Kevin Sumlin wouldn't let, you know, they wouldn't even tell you when the practice were, let alone you would let you come. And Jed Fish comes in and goes, you know what? Kevin Sumlin like crashed and burned. We're on a 12-game losing streak. Let's do the opposite of what he did. It's open. You guys come and watch. You know, um, I like that approach, and I think George Klavkov has is going to be having to do the same thing. Like Shotgun said, I mean, it was just you couldn't fail worse than than Larry Scott did. So you got to do some things opposite, and uh, I think he's going to do that. I mean, his intro presser signaled that he, the bar was low, and he signaled everything that writers and Pac-12 fans have been saying for years. So he at least is aware of that, or his team is. If anyone here that's listening, watching, if you ever take over for someone in a position, and that person, the you know, you're taking over because that person was struggling at their job, look at all the things they were struggling at, and just try to do the opposite. You know, start with that. Start with trying to fix the things they were struggling at, and that's what Klyovkov has done, has come in and done so far. You know, he he killed the the opening press conference by just looking at all the things that Larry Scott wouldn't address or that he really struggled with, yeah. and said these are the things we're at least going to look at. Yeah, you know, he didn't say, "Hey, I've got the answer. We're definitely, you know, we're definitely doing this. We're definitely doing that." He said, "We're going to try to push for expansion of the college football playoff. We're going to try to do these things, these things. Just basically everything that was in that opening press conference that he brought up, especially, was stuff that you know Larry Scott had failed at." Yep. Yeah, and if you like, when you would ask Larry Scott something about why isn't the Pac-12 Network on Directv? Well, it's really important for us to show as many live events as possible. That was our goal going in. Like he wouldn't answer the question. He'd be like, "So we're focused on." you know, putting as many live events out there as possible. Like if you ask Klavkov about it, he's going to say, he's going to ask you, talk to you about direct TV. Like, well, here's where we are. Here's what we're going to try to do. And, you know, 
it, it just was never, you'd never get a straight answer out of Larry Scott. We'd always just try to paint some rosy picture of what they were planning to do. And it's like, well, what the important thing is, is what you're not addressing. You're like, you know, it's great that you're showing more women's lacrosse, but you needed the football to be on direct TV and you're not, you don't have that. We have an interesting comment on Facebook that I just peeped. Uh, it's Paul who says, love how they bash Larry Scott, but Clay Hilton is the greatest coach ever to them. Not sure where you picked that up, but that's... I would, please, find that clip for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I would... Uh, it's, so what it becomes is, if you're not constantly... Every other word out of your mouth is, Clay Hilton's a terrible coach, then you think he's awesome. I think that's basically <laughs> where, where this comes from. Um, who knows? So, but you talked yeah. about cancellations. We actually have a caller who wanted to know more Ooh. about that. I believe Jordan from Dallas is on the line. Hello, you're live on television. All right. Uh, yeah, this is Jordan from uh, Dallas. Um, how you guys doing? Good. Doing all right. Thanks for calling in. It's been a, it's been a minute since we've all done right. a show. So thanks. For, hopefully you weren't on hold since May. But uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, welcome, <laughs> welcome back, Ryan. Thank you, Vegas. Thanks. What's your question for the team? Uh, I had a question for you. Okay. Uh, you know, the COVID Delta variant is ramping up. Do you uh, Have you guys heard anything about uh, maybe, oh, the football season maybe, uh, you know, being – not canceled, but, oh, you know, fans not being in attendance because I have uh, – I actually have tickets to come out and see USC play the uh, Arizona game. That's so. it. Yeah, Jordan. Um, so – the, the athletic department, you know, we've talked to people there. Uh, you know, Mike Bone actually came by yesterday and kind of said hi to us and, and talked a little bit. Yeah, they're planning on, you know, full Coliseum. They're planning on all of that to happen. Now, there was no mask mandate like a week ago, and now there is. It's still an outdoor thing, so it doesn't, you know, come into play. But they have to be very nimble and be ready to go. There, something could change that, you know, the they have to follow the, the state and, you know, county health guidelines. So... As of right now, they're ready to go. They want to they sell the tickets. They want to get people in the Coliseum. Um, but if something weird happens uh, and something changes, I, I mean, my guess is that you're not going to be like – we have pretty high vaccination rates in, you know, in California in general. Um, you know, we're seeing rates go up, but it seems to be mostly with uh, the unvaccinated. I don't know. I mean, we'll, I, I'm just not I – don't, I don't, I'm not anticipating like there's going to be some huge scare where a whole bunch – you know, the hospitals are filling up again. But I think you can see case numbers go up. Um, with the Delta variant, but I, I think we're going to have a, a season. I think our fans are going to be in the Coliseum. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, one of the things is the, the cases, the numbers are going up, and it's a, it's a concern for sure because we, you know, as a country, we've done so well as bringing it down those numbers from where they had been, but we're still a good ways away from where they had been, and we still had the season last year when the numbers were, you know, way worse. Yeah. <laughs> with no vaccines either compared. Yeah. So I think that the season is still in good shape to you know go forward and be played uh, as as scheduled right now. The questions about fans and, and attendance in the stands that as of now I still think you're going to get there. But like Ryan said, the the athletic department and you know that was one of the things when we talked with my bone the other day is that they kind of admitted like we're going to be you know, we have to be nimble and that's yeah. something they had to do last year where you know you're going into the season and suddenly things have changed and then something else changed and something else changed. And they just had to be nimble without throughout the entire process, and that's what we're going to try to do. But they're going to try to get the you know they want fans to be in attendance. Now, is it going to be full capacity? That could be a little bit different. I think there will definitely be fans in attendance. How many? That will depend on how things are going as far as case numbers and everything, and how the county yeah. and city and state are all kind of uh, you know 
what mandates they're putting forward. And how the team does, probably, too. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be part of it, Ryan. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, you know, you might not have to worry about full capacity if you lose some games early. What so. a Debbie Downer I'm already, saying, Ryan. Like, the, fall camp hasn't even started. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Jordan, for the call. We appreciate it. I'm actually going to go to another caller. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, Tunnel Vision. Dave from Iowa once again. I got two questions. One, this is for Ryan. So, Ryan, um, uh, on the podcast a couple weeks ago, you said Chris Rowe hasn't won any, any big games. So, does that mean the USC and Oregon game just isn't a big game in general? And then, like for anyone else, like Shotgun or Keeley, um, just curious, what do you guys think is going to happen to ASU? Do you think the NCAA and, or the Pac-12 is going to lay their foot down? Or are they just going to, you know, kind of just slap them on the wrist. Like, for example, the NCAA kind of did with LSU and Ed Orgeron in terms of the sexual assaults. I mean, basically the same situation in a sense of you're risking human lives, right? Like, to your thoughts. Thank you, Dave. He's talking about Cristobal, Ryan. Mario Cristobal. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, I mean, I don't remember what I had for breakfast, let alone what I said three <laughs> weeks ago He left us a voicemail about it. Dave left, did. Oh, he left us a voicemail? Yes. Um, I don't think I said he never won a big game, but he hasn't won like a championship or anything. But he had a, a big, I was there for a big win over, uh, I think it was Wisconsin in the uh, Rose Bowl. In the Rose Bowl. I mean, winning the Pac 12 in a pandemic year when his team was three and two and lost to Cal and Oregon, uh, I mean, Oregon State, the the weeks prior, I'm not going to like give a whole lot of credit there. But uh, yeah, the, the Rose Bowl win was a big one. Um, but, you know, he's not won. He's recruited way better than he's uh, won on the field, I would say. He's not without a big win, but he doesn't have a lot of big wins. Beating USC is still impactful. However, those two teams have not matched up in you know something that's just been national headlines all week. This yeah. is the biggest game in the nation type of game. The Pac-12... You know, ever you know, they were looking at it and like maybe USC can sneak into you know the back end of no, that was never going to happen. Yeah. So it wasn't you know it was it was a championship game, and people on the West Coast cared about it, but it wasn't even the national game of the week that week. So until that happens, unfortunately, that that hasn't been the case with USC because USC and Oregon play later in the season. USC can't make it to Oregon you know undefeated. So if they make it to Oregon undefeated this year. Yeah, yeah. Considering they're not on the schedule, so that would mean they meet in the Pac-12 championship. <laughs> then that would be a very big game, and you know, then you you would give Crystal Ball credit for beating USC in a yeah. big game. But right now, so far, his wins against USC haven't necessarily been the big game. No, and they, I mean, they they didn't even win the North, so it was just they were the replacement team for Washington. So it's just you know, I'm not going to give a whole ton of credit for that. It's more of an indictment on how USC should have definitely won that game. Uh, and did not. But, you know, the, the Rose Bowl win was definitely a big one. Mm -hmm. You know, Justin Herbert was a, a stud. Dave also wanted to know about what we think the NCAA is going to do. Does anyone ever know what the NCAA is going to do? The biggest difference here is that it seems like there are people that are willing to line up and talk about yep. Arizona State. You know, that seems to be the biggest difference. Usually anyone, the NCAA comes calling, everyone's like, I don't know anything. Snitches get stitches. And, you know, they're gone. Where it seems like at Arizona State, there was such a divide, at least according to the articles that have been published, there's such a divide among the staff and among the, you know, the support staff around that people, you know, were keeping receipts and stuff basically on it. Literal receipts as well as the figurative receipts, you know. So they're saying, hey, here's this, here's this. And they were giving a dossier yeah. to – What know, a great the, word that is. To the way. NCAA and to media outlets. That tells you that, you know, the, that there's more there than just, you know, some, some hearsay that you hear a lot of times with these type of cases. 
not as I don't want to equate the LSU. That's a much different sexual assault. It's a much different type of case. Uh, but as far as helping, you know, get recruits on campus, and it's just the fact that it was during a pandemic, and recruiting was basically shut down, and they just completely flaunted those rules. And I think that's why some people may have had issue with it inside the program, and why so many people were willing to talk. And mm-hmm. outside the program, I mean, you, David Shaw. Oh yeah, there people Oregon were, State's AD as well. They, yeah, so this is one of those things where, like, you're putting the public in danger. And, it, you know, you can cheat. You know, oh, he made an extra phone call. And, like, you're not going to hear David Shaw talk about it. But this was like, hey, yeah. man, we were all not recruiting. And you recruited. And you put, you know, not just your team, but other teams and the, and the public at large in, uh, in peril. And, yeah, so, there, you know, there, it, was, it was bad. And this is, for the NCAA, you pretty much need to serve it up on a silver platter. This is pretty close to that. So, like, would they do something? Uh, it seems like ASU is like, we could have a pretty good year this year. We're going to try to kick this can down the road. And that's an NCAA strategy all the way. They've done that for <laughs> years. So you might just see nothing happen this year, but uh, the the other shoe drops later on. I don't know. But it's uh, it's definitely risky um, business right here. If, if you're not firing anyone, it doesn't sound like you're, you know Herm Edwards is going to be there. Uh, that'll be an interesting storyline to listen to what he has to say yeah. uh, at Pac-12 Media Day on Tuesday. Yeah, that's a good point. And this could be something that hangs over them. They expect to have a good season. Jaden Daniels, third-year quarterback, a lot of positive momentum potentially there with the talent that they brought in the last couple of recruiting classes. But this could be something that hangs over the you know the head of the entire program for throughout the entirety of the year and weighs on the team. You know, it's, it's something that could. You know, bring them together and bond the team, and they fight against that. Or it could be something that helps break break apart the team. So it'd be it'd be interesting to watch that team this season and see if you notice, you know, the if that has plays an effect some somehow throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, we have one more caller on the line, so I'm going to bring him up. It's Scott from the desert. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hello, Kelly. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Hello. Oh, not bad, not bad. I have two quick questions. Number one is for Ryan. Uh, what was the best plate of food you had in Greece? Ooh, okay. <laughs> Got to ask a foodie question. Of course. And the second question is uh, moving, moving into fall camp. Uh, this one's for Shotgun. Uh, who do you believe is going to be the number one and the number two back? And thank you for taking my question. Of course. Thanks you, for calling in. You can go first. We got that question a lot already in the comments, too. People were, are really curious about the running back situation. Yeah, Gorilla asked the same question. Who's RB1? Who's RB2? Um, and there was a couple other questions about the running backs as well. Who replaced the step and car? Yeah. And the interesting thing as far as replacement goes is that basically Keontae Ingram comes in for Stephen Carr and has an extra year of eligibility more than Stephen Carr. And then you have... Um, Darwin Barlow comes in and basically is the same class, has an extra year of eligibility than Step. So you replace two guys. Now, do they fit as far as style? Uh, they kind of, kind of do. Barlow's a you know a, a hefty guy. He got thick shoulders. Is a guy that you think is more of a run between the tackles. Keontae Ingram, we've seen him get outside in space and you know make some guys miss, catch the ball in the backfield. That really nice play in the in the spring game as well. So kind of replacements there for those two guys as well. And you bring them in, so I think USC did a really good job of replacing the two guys that went into the transfer portal with two guys that have an, that are similar and have an extra year of eligibility. Now, are they going to be better than them on the field? That's still to be determined. Keontae Ingram, I've got a lot of expectations for. Yeah. Showed some stuff during the spring. And a guy that started at Texas. You know, He yeah. lost his spot to B. John Robinson, but I think B. John Robinson is kind of a 
you know, Stud. potential uh, <laughs> once in a decade type of guys you get in that program. So, you know, big miss for USC recruiting. Should've, you should have recruited that guy. Yeah, the guy that, that loved Reggie Bush, <laughs> that you know was super excited to wear the number five when he was at the Coliseum. Yeah, that guy. Um, <laughs> but they did not get him. But they get Keontae Ingram from the transfer portal. I think he's going to be one of the two guys. I think Vi Malpeai is the other guy. I think if they actually stick to what they've said, and that's a question mark with the offensive staff, They've said a bunch of stuff in the past and haven't followed through. But if they do stick to what they've said and say, we want a 1A, we want a 1B, those are two guys I expect. How does that then, how does that affect Keenan Kristen? You know, Barlow coming in. Uh, the other guys that are on Brent. the roster, Brendan Campbell, the freshman, which he had some nice flashes as well. We've seen Keenan Kristen flashes from him in the past. How does that affect them? You know, are they just all fighting for that number three spot for one, when one of the top two running backs goes down? Because it will happen. They'll miss a couple games. Yeah. It happens every year with running backs. That's the big question to me. You know, because if I'm Keenan Kristen and I come and you know I burn my richer year that I could have potentially had to help out the team and play the last couple games a few years ago, and then you just you know I get dumped at the bottom of the depth chart. I'm probably looking elsewhere. Yeah, it didn't help that he didn't really participate in the spring either. Did so. not help his case there, no. um, but he's back with the team right now during summer workouts. Track, sorry, shotgun. Just yeah. to make sure. So yeah, he was running track there and was pretty successful. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what what kind of shakes out. But my anticipation is that the two older guys, County Ingram, is a senior with two years of eligibility. Avi Melapea is a senior. This will be his last year of eligibility. I would expect those two guys to to be one A and one B. Yeah, I would agree. And real, oh, real quick on the. Oh. Hold on. Also, uh, it was released today that Vivai Malpea is now going to be six. How do we feel about that? That's always Michael Pittman in my head. It's hard when they when they switch. <sighs> Numbers change. It's, it's I know, way. but yeah, I, they're okay. in my head. Ryan, go <laughs> oh, yeah, for real it. Quick, they're in my head. Yeah, they are. I spent uh, like almost two weeks in uh, in Hania in Crete, you know, in Greece, and man, it was awesome. All the food was is amazing. I can't eat tomatoes anymore because they were so good there. Like the Cretan salad and the, but like the the seafood's awesome. You would get a whole fish and just super flaky. Uh, I had a lot of grilled octopus, which I'd never ate much nice. before. It was great. But the lamb, I think, was probably the best. Highly recommend. It was a, a great vacation. Um, just We were debating this. Is a Greek salad in Greece still a Greek salad or is it just they, a salad? They would say, like the menu would say Greek salad or Cretan salad. Cretan okay. would be like – so I think they add these uh, kind of different croutons and stuff uh, in that. But, yeah, they're all a little bit different. But the, the – Cucumbers and tomatoes, just so fabulous. Nice. All righty. Well, thanks for the call. I lied. We have one more call on the line, and then we're going to get back to our topics. It's our buddy Brandon from Minnesota. Hello. You're live on Tuttle Vision. What's your question for the team? Hey, uh, I was just calling to see who do you guys think are going to be the captains this year or who is in prime position to be captains? Thank you. Good question. Uh, Keen Slovis? I'll go with Keaton Slovis, and uh, our other returner would be um, Isaiah Paul Mal. Is that yes. correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, you, there's also another returning, though not 2020 captain, which is Jordan Asefa. Um, depends on if he's healthy. So yeah. whether he may to earn his captaincy back. You don't usually see a guy become a captain and then not be a captain after that. Right. Usually once you've established yourself, then you stay that way. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit different there. He didn't play last year. If he's back healthy, he did not participate in the PRP. Uh, last week, he wasn't there. This week, he was in flats, so he was not in cleats like everyone else. So still some question marks there. We've put some stuff in the war room, uh, Keely has in the past, about his health. So you know, if you're a subscriber, you are up to date on where he's at in his recovery right now. I'd yep. say Drake London's got a good chance because he's going to be one of the two guys at Pac-12 Media Day. So 
I don't. It just, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go with the captaincy, and we've talked about this before on the yeah. show about whether the coaches are picking it, whether it's the players picking it. If the coaches are picking it, you, know, you sometimes it could be a motivational thing. You want somebody to speak up and be louder and do that type of thing. You know, sometimes it's just the guy who's the most vocal and the, the, that the players follow. Yeah. So there's different ways that it can come about. And if it's a straight vote, it changes a lot of things. If you just yeah. if you truly vote and you just go with whoever has the most votes, that changes a lot of things. But a lot of times it's a vote. And then the coaches have some input yeah. as well. Like because, last year, I'd say I pull him out, but not Talanoa Funga kind of thing, you know. But just uh, was it? But there was one quarterback a few years ago. I can't remember who it was. I believe it was Max Brown. I don't think it was Max Brown. There was there was someone that that was like, this guy is surprising that he would be a captain already. Uh, or maybe we were arguing about whether they would try to use him as a captain. Oh. I can't remember exactly what it was, but you know. Sometimes you want the quarterback to be a captain to yeah. force him to speak up and you know to to be Sam Darnold is the guy that's that's what it was. Okay. But Sam Darnold when he was coming up and you're like he's not very vocal or is are they going to make him a captain to force him to try to be a little bit more vocal and maybe that's one of the reasons why he was voted captain yeah. or maybe just everyone follows him and they voted. We don't really know how you know they don't explain how they're how they go about doing the captaincy and each program each school is different so there it could go a couple different ways. Usually you look for those veteran guys. You know, Brandon Peely would have been a guy that I thought could have been, you know, potentially yeah. there. But obviously the Achilles injury, he's not going to get it. So you're, you're looking at that linebacker core. Is anyone from that group going to do it? Uh, you know, Isaiah Pullamau, usually you think two offensive, two defensive. That's usually the way it plays out. And if that's the case, you know, you're looking at, is it Drake Jackson? Is it is it one of those guys? Kanai Mauga Kanai or something. Mauga, yeah. And yeah. Then, as well as IPM. So on the offensive side, Keaton and Drake seems like an easy pick. Yeah. But yeah. you do have several veteran offensive linemen, too. Yeah. But the offensive line has also not usually produced captains recently. Yeah. Keely, could you do the question, too? Because I want to, sure. I have another one I want to load. So okay. If we, like, there's, yes, we'll do. We had a question from Jasper Smith who says uh, Solomon Tuyalapubu's injury. Is he practicing in the PRPs? We have seen him in cleats the last two weeks. We can't actually view the practices themselves, can't see if he's running around doing anything. But the fact that some players are in flats or in tennis shoes and others are in cleats leads us to believe that he is practicing and participating in those PRP workouts, uh, in those workouts and the PRP practices that they have. Yeah. So, you know, again, th this goes back to my rule with Solomon that yeah. until he practices for a full week, then he's not a guy that I'm going to be concerned about on the too deep depth chart. Um, you know, and we hope that he does get healthy. He's gone through this long road. I was just thinking the other day because we started getting all these questions with the, you know, posting the photos and seeing them at PRPs. The same day that he committed was the day that Keely and I were down at ESPN, uh, the ESPN LA studios mm, yeah. to see Elijah Griffin commit. Oh. We were trying to interview him afterwards. Solomon Tulealapupu on the same show, maybe, or the same day at least, you know, he committed on the same day. Elijah Griffin has gone to the NFL already. Solomon Tulealapupu has not made it on the field yet. Wow. It's crazy. It's crazy. He's dealt with a lot for sure. And yeah, so hoping, so hoping yeah. that he can get healthy and get out there. Well, speaking of PRP observations, I just want to get your guys' thoughts. Ryan, you saw your first one yesterday. I can speak for Shockin and I when, when I say that we were surprised by Malcolm Epps. That was a guy who we were like, who is that tall guy? And we're like, oh, that is the Texas tight end transfer. And Ryan, Shockin and I were debating on the Family Feud podcast mm -hmm. plug. Uh, does a guy like Malcolm and maybe even a Michael Trigg uh, make USC explore what they can do with the tight end position? I know that's a sore subject for USC fans, but do you have more options now that you have more athletic weapons? Not saying that the other tight ends aren't athletic, but you know what I mean. I mean, so 
when we get to do these summer workout stuff, it was always great because you maybe hadn't seen the guys for a few months and you get to see how their bodies changed and you're out there working out. Sometimes they're working out whether their shirts, you're like, wow, that guy looks great or whatever. Uh, yeah, the group that you mentioned, like, they look like ridiculous football players. I mean, there's like, these are first guy off the bus kind of people. And it makes you think like, there's no way you can't use that person somehow and be better on the football field. So just from seeing what those guys look like, to me, it's like you have to figure out a way to incorporate that position more. Uh, is it more of the old, you know, Drake London thing where you're like more of a slot guy? I don't I mean, you got to do something with those guys. Like they just look too good to be sitting on the bench. Um, but the proof is that, you know, Shotgun wants to see Solomon Tuilapupu play before he's going to talk about him. Like I want to see them really try to utilize the tight end position before I go out and make some prediction. Like, yeah, they got to use these guys. Sure. I mean, but yeah, I think just looking at them, and I think I, I think we put a picture of one of them up there. I don't know yeah, if you have it. Michael Trigg. Michael Trigg. Um, yeah, like uh, very impressive looking guys. Yeah. I mean, any other observations like that first stood out to you initially? For me? Uh, That's for you. I mean. Both of you, I guess. Yeah. The, no. Yeah. The, I mean, those guys definitely stood It's so when you get to go to like a spring football practice and there's a bunch of new players, you're looking at numbers and stuff. The summer workouts are completely different. You can see like a number on their shorts, but you have to like remember what everyone's face looks like. And there's a whole bunch of new faces yeah. um, and people coming back. So it sort of was like, and this was my first one. You guys had went to one before. You're kind of, and I know you guys talked about like trying to identify guys. Yeah. You're like cataloging things in your brain. Like, oh, that's, you know, wait, who's that? Uh, you know, Corlin Ford came by. Like, he looks different. You know, like he looked like kind of, you know, bigger, bigger. chest. Yeah. yeah. And you we were just like, Wait, that, okay, that's Cortland Ford. And and so you're trying to, like, figure this out as you go, which is a fun part. And, like, usually by the end of summer when we film these guys, like, then you get everybody down. But just seeing them kind of walk by, uh, it, it, it's a little it's a little more difficult. But you've definitely been impressed with some of the, the guys that we saw go by. Yeah, I mean, Shotty? I think the number one observation is how many guys were going, wait, who's that? Who's that? Yeah. And Keely and I basically <laughs> were playing the game. Wait, who's that? Who's that? Yeah. The whole time. Like, And then afterwards, we had to sit down and like go through some of the photos and like compare, compare yeah. just to figure out because there are so many new faces. Yes. Now, part of that is we haven't been up close and personal with the players yeah. in so long. Um, but normally – you know, with with a you know with a bunch of the freshmen coming in, we would have seen them in high school too. Not a high school season last year, but also how many kids are not are being recruited from outside the local area, yeah. particularly in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the kids that they're bringing in. So we're looking at that Dar- that's Darwin Barlow. Okay, that's Taj yeah. Washington, and trying to put the faces with the names that we know have come in, but a ton of new faces from the last time we've seen them. And just the fact that, you know, there's been a lot of turnover this offseason. Yeah. Bringing in nine transfers along with basically a full recruiting class. So, you know, USC lost, I believe, at seven transfers. So there's been some turnover there in the transfer portal. And, you know, there just some new faces as well from last year that we didn't really get to see up close and personal. But uh, Cortland Ford's a good one. Uh, you know, he's a guy that high expectations for him and USC needs him to play well. Yeah. You need him or Casey Collier or Jonah Monheim or multiple of those guys to step up. You at least want them to take over a starting spot. You would love it if all three of those guys were pressing those older guys on the offensive line. Um, but he definitely looks like he's gotten rid as Chris put it, he he's gotten rid of some weight around his waist and has moved it upwards. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he, he's got a thicker chest right now, thicker shoulders, and you know, is a little bit slimmer at the waist area. So he's a guy that stood out definitely. Casey Collier looks really big again. He's still raw, but I still look at him and go, that's an NFL body. 
Um, now, can they develop him into that? That's going to be a big question mark. But those two guys, the two Texas three-star guys from the 2020 class that there's high expectations for, you know, those, those guys definitely caught my eye for sure. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting, too, and I made this point on the Family Feud podcast, but I just feel like USC fans are just not going to – they're going to need that roster for the first game because think oh, yeah. of all of the positions that have new faces, running back with Keontae Ingram, wide receiver, all the wide receivers they got this offseason, safety, who's going to fill in for Talanoa Hufunga? There's a lot of new faces, and it's not just one transfer here, one transfer there. It's a whole like new rotation of guys that will probably make their way into the two deep. For sure, and I think, and like Shotgun had a good point too. Sometimes it's like, oh, you have this four-star cornerback from Sarah High School, and if you're a USC fan, maybe you're familiar just from the recruiting process. Yeah, you got transfers from out of state, and you got a lot of like recruits from out of state that you've probably never even seen as a recruit before. And you know, for us too, we didn't. I've gone to like seven on seven, filmed this guy like ten times before he gets to campus. So it's definitely going to be. Check your roster uh, when you're going to the, the Coliseum for a lot of the fans. Yeah, yeah, if you're going in attendance, you better print out a roster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because you better print out a roster at home to save yourself $10 or whatever the program costs. <laughs> because you're going to be looking and going, wait, who's 77? Who, who, uh, that's Jamar Sacona. Who's 94? Oh, Kobe Pepe. Yeah. You're not going to yeah. know some of these players. Even those guys are redshirt freshmen, so they were here last year. But you're not going to know some of those. And then plus with some of the number of changes as well, yeah. with Levi Malapia wearing six, that first game yeah. you're going to be like, Who's starting to running back? Who's number six? Michael Pittman came back. <laughs> what happened yeah. here? Yeah. yeah. They moved some guys around. Uh, Miller Moss like, went to seven, I think. Yeah, because Stephen Carr left, Miller Moss's number in high school was seven. Um, and because Michael Trick had already taken number eight, because Miller Moss is a big Kobe fan, he's like, oh, well, maybe I'll get eight. Trick had already had claimed to that. So he went for six in spring. And um, because of Stephen Carr leaving, he's like, well, I'll go back to my old number and that opened it up for Levi Malapai to try a new number, which is interesting because Marlon Tuipolotu did the same thing last year. He's Marlon described it as, I just wanted a fresh start. I wanted a new number. Yeah. Went from 51 to 93 and had a really successful yeah. final season. Will that happen for Levi Malapai? Maybe he saw that and like, you know, I've been banged up every year. I'm looking for a fresh start here. I'm going to come out and get a new number, fresh, clean. I'm not getting injured all season. I'm going to have a big year. Yeah, um, two two number sixes left then, right? Because we had two defensive. Number it was Josh sixes. Jackson and ITS Isaac yeah. Taylor Stewart, but someone put on the parasol that uh, Josh Jackson changes number, well, so we'll of see about that. It was going to have to yeah, happen. Yeah, to. No, I know, but we just don't have we don't have confirmation yet. Yeah, because oh, US, okay. USC hasn't put their new roster out, so I, we got some complaints on the P about the roster's not updated. It's the same as the USC roster online <laughs> yeah. is right now. Until we get all those numbers and everything, we're not going to change everything and then have to go in and rechange yeah. things. Mm -hmm. Someone we haven't mentioned yet that I do know that USC fans are very interested in, Corey Foreman. First Never time, no, really okay. <laughs> First time we're seeing him in Trojan gear uh, this summer. He was a summer enrollee, so uh, we didn't get to see him in spring camp. Any thoughts from from Corey? Number zero. I like that. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> Already signed an NIL deal with, or at least it has signed with an agency to help him with his yeah. NIL yeah. deal. So I think there's a lot of potential there as far as him and NIL being the number one recruit in, in the country. But he's going to have to do it on the field. He looks the same as he looked in high school. So, you know, and, you know, when he gets on the field, that looked dominant, but we haven't seen him on the field in a year and a half. So, how long is it going to take for him to get caught back up to speed? We talked about this on the Family Feud podcast that'll be coming out tomorrow, I believe. But, yes. um, that 
you, you forget the guys that didn't play a senior year, they've got some catching up to do. We yeah. saw that with Julian Simon, and this was the guy we were talking about on the Family Feud podcast. He looks pretty big, by the way. He, he's big, and he looks really old, even though he's young for his class. <laughs> um, yeah, he's like 17 or something, but he looks 30. <laughs> he looks like that. No but, offense, Julian. Sorry, but you just look good. I mean, he's but good. he's a guy that struggled early in, in spring camp, and one of the things that – you know, Chris brought up on the the podcast was that you know he didn't he didn't get to play his senior year in, in Washington because of the pandemic. I'd forgotten about that, and that makes perfect sense. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that didn't get to play in spring, didn't get off to as quick a start as we might have expected some of them to, and now maybe they'll come on. So how's that going to affect a guy like Corey Foreman? Um, you, you know, we saw some guys like Ray John Davis get to play in the spring. You know, will those guys be ahead of where some of the spring guys were? those first couple weeks of practices when we get to fall camp. Yeah. And you can also apply that to Miller Moss and Jackson Dart. That's yep. something where Jackson Dart came in hot off of that senior season, and, and Miller Moss just sat around basically because he couldn't play in California. So just something to keep in mind. It's definitely, he tried. He transferred just to, so he could try to play. Yeah. It still didn't work. Yeah. yeah, but just something to keep in mind in evaluating players. It's it's a different COVID uh, curveball, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but let's jump into questions. It's already 740, if you can believe it. Whoa. Uh, our buddy Blair Angulo Send us a question. He said, what's the likelihood we see Jackson Dart at some point this season asking for a friend? Nice. Uh, Blair, Blair's a Dart guy, I think. Blair know? is just causing controversy. Is what he he's does. Doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't know who's ahead. Uh, I mean, Jackson Dart's more of a fan favorite right now for Miller. And you feel bad because Dart had that meteoric rise his senior year that Miller Moss didn't get to play. You know, So Miller Moss already had accolades but didn't get to play. Dart did. Uh, he had some, you know, spring game. There were some not great plays, but he made some great plays too. Uh, and then Miller Moss, you know, on his side, Mohassan gets hurt and he was sort of thrown to the wolves. Uh, so, yeah, you, you feel bad for Miller Moss, but Dart has been more of a fan favorite. Um, what Every year for the last several years, right, the quarterback has missed some time. So if he ends up being the number two guy, uh, you know, I, there's, a, there's a decent chance he plays. But, I mean, he might not be the backup. Miller Moss might be. You know, who knows? You're being very wishy-washy. Dart was the better guy in spring. Now, will he be the better guy in the fall? We don't know that. But coming out of spring, he's the backup guy right now. Um, now, Miller Moss, that means he has to do some work and catch up. And I think a big part of that was the fact that he didn't have that senior season, whereas Dart was coming in, big confidence, not just hot off his senior season, but a lot of confidence coming in. And you saw some of those plays that he can make, some of the creativity that he has, whereas Miller Moss – he got more comfortable as the spring went on, it seemed like. And, you know, he was you know doing all the right things, checking the ball down, doing those type of things. We'll see if now he feels a little bit more comfortable in fall camp, if he catches up with Dart pretty quickly now that he's back in his rhythm, that type of thing. That's still to be determined. But coming off of spring, Dart was the second guy. And the fact that, that USC hasn't been able to keep their quarterbacks healthy in the past few years – then if he stays in that backup spot, then, yeah, there's a good chance he, he gets on the field. I mean, ideally, you'd hope it'd just be garbage time and not the typical are true, yeah. only time that USC quarterbacks come in or second string is in injury circumstances. If there's ever garbage time. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you'd hope that there's garbage time that USC actually blew some teams out, but... Yeah, hasn't been enough of that. I haven't seen but. that in a long time. Ryan, do you remember off the top of your head the last time USC had garbage time? <sighs> off the top of my head, I mean... You thought last year, like, the Arizona game or something, but no, that was, like, comes down to the last minute. I mean, it had to be something in 2019. No, Washington State last year. What? Oh, well, what? Okay, oh, Washington smart. State. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I was going to say Washington State, but it was Usually like there's been about one per year, that, unfortunately, and that's not very good. 
because when you have a bye game on there, whether it's a Western Michigan or San Jose State this year, even though San Jose I think is going to be a good opponent, yeah. that's still a bye game. You are paying that team to come to your school, and we're not going to come back. It's not a home-and-home. Home. You're coming here. We're paying you money, blah, blah, blah. When you have a bye game, you need to be blowing somebody out in that game. And then you need to have at least two of your – in a full season, you need to have at least two conference opponents that you should be blowing out. You should be blowing out in Oregon State pretty much every year. Um, or Washington State, when those teams are the bottom team in the north, you should be blowing them out. USC usually is doing that, but it's not guaranteed. No. And then they're not blowing anyone else out. You should, there should be like an Arizona, an Arizona State, or even a UCLA where you know you just have a better game plan or whatever it is. There should be multiple blowouts in a, in a season. That way you're getting those young guys in. They're getting some playing time. You know, It's just not rotation. They're getting some time at the end of the games to develop a little bit, and then they get some tape, and you go, you can teach off that. There's so many – advantages if you can do that and USC hasn't been able to do that you're usually getting one per season the last four seasons or so because I try to track all that stuff in my participation charts and stuff seeing when those backups come in one to two max is what it's been recently yeah there you go not enough I do have a question on Facebook from Gary who says who do you think will return punts and kickoffs how many touchdowns will USC have on special teams over under this is your area. You're, you're uh, you are, yeah, you are a special teams believer. man. So Snyder, uh, you know, he's impressed me. They got way better last year. Um, I did this uh, uh, Trojan football alumni golf tournament um, know, a few weeks ago or a month ago or something. And Clay Helton talked about, you know, just how great special teams were. They were number one in special teams efficiency. So, yeah, I think uh, I think they're going to be better. I think there's some you know some big plays to be had and i, I think there's going to be multiple touchdowns scored by special teams but more importantly i think you're not going to have the gaffes and that's what really hurt usc special teams over the years is like you could have that spectacular play maybe it's just an individual like a dory jackson just going crazy on his own <laughs> but then you know three bonehead plays and you know and you're like uh you know the one where the, the first play was the 2019 season where you uh, you two know, number two number sevens. sevens or something on the field at the same time, and you negate like a sixty-yard, you know, uh, kickoff return. Like, you can't have stuff like that. And we asked, we asked Sean Snyder about that. He just like kind of looked like, yeah, that's never going to happen. But um, I think any coach would say it's never going to happen. But it did. Uh, so yeah, no, I think there's, I think there's some touchdowns to be had. I think you're going to see some big plays with without the kind of bonehead plays. Speaking of Adoree Jackson, when that Notre Dame game comes on, every time it comes on, Pac-12 in, in sixty, you know, they have the sixty-minute versions. I usually will have to watch until I see at least one Adoree Jackson touchdown. Because yeah. there's three in three different ways. I'm like, yeah. okay, I can watch for five minutes or whatever until I see an Adoree Jackson touchdown. I'm like, oh, man, that was fun to watch. And then I turn the channel. Nice. <laughs> My question for both of you, what are you expecting from Parker Lewis this season? You're looking for more consistency. Yeah. Um, obviously, big leg there, high expectations, being the number one kicker coming out of high school. And obviously, he has, has the leg. He can you know kick from distance and everything. But you got to be more consistent. I think he, he went through some freshman, you know, freshman shakes a little bit where, um, you know, he was just he was shanked a couple of them, pulled a couple to the left or right. Uh, but now you expect when you make when you get lined up for a forty-two yard field goal, it's going to be in there. Um, and I think that you'll see that from him. I think the development there uh, should be over there. Just more consistency, same leg swing, and I think that he becomes a guy that can, is all Pac-12 caliber. I mean, he has the talent. Is that something where COVID and not really having a, a true off-season fall camp maybe impacted that? Could be. I mean, and how much did Sean Snyder – that was one of the things when they didn't have a full 
because special teams, you're bringing in all the players from different areas and stuff. So how much did they do full special team stuff when they were talking about early uh, last year when they were finally able to come back together, like having to do pods basically with the team? So how much special teams work got done? I think that's the reason why Ryan in particular is, is expecting a big bump uh, you know, in some, some of the special teams play where they were solid last year, but maybe they can even rise to the occasion and be a special part of the team. Special, mm-hmm. special teams? Special, special teams. But, but yeah, in I mean, a good way. Yeah. No, I think uh, I, we heard from Todd Orlando, and they weren't really able to do everything they wanted to do as far as prep goes. They are kind of getting ready for games. I think the same thing would apply with special teams. So yeah. having all spring, having the offseason, you know, I just it just seemed like it was a more like a well-oiled machine as opposed to this kind of willy-nilly, like sometimes it's a great play, sometimes it's a terrible play. As far as returners, Chris Trevino is really high on Gary Bryant Jr. I think Gerard is as well. Yeah, um, he's a guy that could definitely be in there, be in the mix. Katie Nixon's a guy we've seen back there. Some of those running backs coming in, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting because there's some new faces. We'll see if any of those guys, like a Taj Washington, you know, Jake Smith, guys that have some speed, if they're guys that they look at as returners potentially as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jalen Smith and Prophet Brown have have done it as well. So there's a lot of options potentially. Sierra Wright, but. I think it starts with Gary Bryant, and he, he's a guy they need to find ways to get him the ball, get the ball in his hands, whether it's on special teams, whether it's a receiver or wide receiver screens. He's got some electricity to him, but we haven't really seen it yet. So maybe he can pop one early in the season, give himself some confidence if he can get a big return on special teams, on a punt return or something like that. And then that you know continues to build on itself and snowballs forward. And transfer Katie Nixon maybe too. You can yeah, get some I mean, from him. As a, as oh, a I'm kick sorry. Returner, yeah. 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 Health also a key with Gary Bryant Jr. as well. Yeah. Uh, we had a question on Facebook from Andrew who said, will we see number five in the pair style again this year? The actual pair style. Are we referencing Reggie Bush himself or are we just referencing the retired number? I think the retired number will come back. Yeah, I we think that's That hasn't be. been confirmed or anything, but I think that, I think you'll see it back. Now that the NCAA has said that you can associate with the Reggie Bush for USC, then I think they're going to do as much as they can. His Heisman obviously is still not back in Heritage Hall, but. Right, and there, you know, there was some news about that. Like Reggie put out a statement or whatever, and then the Heisman's like, "Yeah, well, we'll, you know, we can reinstate you as long as the NCAA does." So, like, sort of kicking the can down the road there too. But um, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I think they'll they should put it back there. I think they're going to try to do everything possible to have a great fan experience. You know, we we mentioned the attendance. If you're allowing, you know, full houses, they want to bring as many people as possible. So they're doing whatever they can to put a great product out in the field, help the, you know. Help the staff do whatever they need to do so you're out there winning games. Give the fans a reason to come in there, but also just what you're doing in the stands. And if you want to see that Reggie Bush number out there, number five, if that's going to make fans happy and it can bring more people out there, I think they're they're willing to do anything to try to make sure people come back. Now, Keely and I were not around covering the team the last time USC had a Heisman Trophy winner, which would be Reggie Bush. Um, but is there was was there a special unveiling of the number in the peristyle when Matt Liner or Reggie Bush won it? Do you remember that as you know opening game? They kind of pull a sheet down, kind of like you do a retired number, like I don't a basketball or anything. Because they probably should do that. That would be it good. Be yeah. A re-unveiling of the number. I like five. that. Yeah, it should be like covered up at least, and then you know direct a spotlight or whatever you can do to point out to the fans and be like, hey, look, number five's back. Yeah, I think they'll notice that, though, once they walk in. We got a question from Gorilla on YouTube who says, do you think that this USC team is good enough to have a 1,000-yard rusher and two 1,000-yard receivers? 1,000-yard rusher, I think, is going to be tough uh, as far as – I think they have backs that are talented enough to do that, but we just haven't seen scheme-wise that happening. 
the last one was Ronald Jones. So it's been a few years since USC's done that. I until they do it, I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say no on that. I mean, especially you know, you've seen guys get hurt. You know, Shotgun talks about that too. Like, you know, you could have Vavai like have a good year, but has like 700 yards, and you know, Ingram maybe he has like seven, eight hundred, something like that. Like, you could see that happening. But also, are you going to be dedicated to running the football more? I mean, I just don't. I, I think with all that, I don't think you're going to have a. If you had like, you weren't as dedicated to the run, but you just had one guy doing it all, like he'd have a chance. But I think it's going to be spread out a little bit, and I just don't think this team's going to rush for you know, two thousand yards or whatever. Yeah, I, I think that's the two things that stand out: is that are they going to be dedicated enough to the run game itself, and are they going to be dedicated to actually having one A and one B rather than rotating three, four guys? And, you know, can people stay healthy? It, there's there's several factors in it that until, you know, someone goes off for a 150-yard game and then the next week goes for a 100-yard game, which we haven't seen anything like that in a long time, until you see some consistency from one running back, then I, it's going to be hard for me to believe that they're going to get to 1,000 yards. Maybe, you know, I could easily see Vi and Keontae Ingram combining for 15, 1,600 yards. Yeah. But one guy having a thousand, the other guy having five or six hundred. No, I think it's going to be more of an eight hundred split somewhere in there. If you get to that, though, I think you're going to be doing pretty well. It's just you know this was not an efficiently. Uh, they didn't run the ball very efficiently at all last year. I mean, some of the numbers like RJ Abadia put the numbers together. They were you know good in the pass, like just on the surface, good pass game. Bad in the run game is like the the takeaway you would have from all of those articles. Mm -hmm. The stat that shotgun reference was uh, in 2017, Rojo rushed for uh, fifteen hundred yards. So. Mm -hmm. That is the last thousand yard rusher, and he was the, the biggest thing there was he was clear and 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 favor you know clear and heads above everyone else as the favorite running back. He yeah. was going to get the bulk of the carry. He was going to get twenty carries before anyone else was going to get eight. Yeah. So you know that that's what it would take, and I, I think you're going to see more of a split uh, between County Ingram and Vi right now um, until one of those guys just proves like I'm the dude. No one else needs carries. You need to give me the rock every single time. Yeah, and you're going to need the offensive line to, to play well. Yeah. We have a question on Facebook from Jeff who says, uh, so the pandemic hampered the year two offense evolution. Do you feel like with a full summer and a full fall camp, the evolution will be big? Or has defense seen it all, seen it all a lot now and will make adjustments nullifying any progress USC should have made? And the interesting point is prior to the pandemic, we heard from <laughs> Graham Harrell, Seth Dagey, uh, John David Baker prior to him leaving for Ole Miss – Guys who were familiar with Harold's uh, system said, hey, watch out for year two. Year two, two is the big jump. And yet we saw what we saw in year uh, two, obviously, which was not what they had advertised. Now, of course, they couldn't work out together. They were in pods. I talked to Brett Nealon uh, two weeks ago at, after the PRP, and he was saying, you know, I didn't really get to see a lot of my teammates throughout the season. So obviously that impacted them to a certain degree. But I guess the question is how much? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I got to talk to Keaton Slovis uh, yesterday a little bit about that. And just, you know, it's like night and day, he said, as far as this offseason preparation, just being able to work with the receivers. He talked about having a whole bunch of new ones this year and just being able to hold them accountable, make sure they're staying to go into all the workouts. If he calls like, hey, let's go throw. He said that all the new guys are showing up. They're doing it. So you couldn't do any of that stuff last year. So some of the bonding, um, we were told that year two is going to be this massive leap forward and it certainly wasn't that and you know i think there's a lot of factors that that go into that um but for what we've seen i mean it wasn't that leap and i i feel like this will be a similar year to like 2019 i think keaton's is gonna have a big year the receiver core is not gonna be as good as it was then 
Uh, there's some potential there, but you know, you, Drake London's an absolute stud. You, know, you think Brew McCoy could be good. Will Kyle Ford come along? All those guys. Um, but I, I feel like you're going to not see the sort of struggle that we saw at times, even in the passing game in 2020. I think it's going to look more like 2019 did. I think it all depends on the offensive line protecting Keaton Slovis and Slovis playing like 2019 versus 2020. If Keaton Slovis is back and is confident and they keep him upright, which will play into his confidence and his throwing motion and all those things, then, yeah, I think the offense can take off and, and really explode. Even though you're losing you know, big-time receivers, there's some question marks about who's going to be at the start and running back, who's going to fill in at the different wide receivers. There's a lot of question marks still and question marks in the offensive line, but it comes down to that. If the offensive line keeps Keaton Slovis upright and he's back to 2019, yes, they will have, a big, I think, a big step yeah. forward. Mm-hmm. All right, it's the top of the hour, so I'm going to say we go into rapid-fire answering these questions. Just so you know, We have a lot of them, so I just want to get through them all. Uh, first one is from, uh, let's go here, Andrew, who said, who will test SC the hardest early in the season? I mean, the first game uh, is San Jose State, right? And uh, they won the Mountain West last year. They have a really hot coaching candidate. Now they lost some guys. Um, but it's just the first one, and I feel like you got to get those jitters out. Like you're, you're going to be doing some new things. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like that's going to be the one. This is a team that won a bunch of games last year, more than USC won. Uh, they played more games, but you know, the, and it was a team that couldn't even prepare. They had to, you know, drive up to Humboldt to like run their fall camp and everything. They weren't even allowed to practice where they were. So they overcame a lot of adversity. That's a team that you don't want to really face right, you know, right away. So it, it's, it's a team that you can get them down and they'll still fight back. So, yeah, just the first game out of the gate, San Jose State, you got to take that seriously. Does early in the season just count as the first half of the season? Because if I'm if that's the case, I'm taking Utah. Um, you know, before the bye week, before you go to Notre Dame, potential to be undefeated going to Notre Dame if they can beat Utah at home and then have control kind of the Pac-12 South with the potential to go to Notre Dame, big game. You know, then you're if they make it to Notre Dame undefeated, you're talking about them being in the conversation for college football playoff, them being in that mix, them being discussed. But it, you know, do we have confidence they're gonna? They should be able. To, they're gonna be favored in all those games leading up to that yeah. Notre Dame game. But do we have confidence that they're gonna actually fulfill that? Uh, that's you. You look at it. You look at each game individually. You say, yeah, they'll win that game. Yeah, I think they'll win that game. But you look at it as a whole, and you go. <laughs> But like it's yeah, it, can you do that they, every week? Yeah, yeah, they usually slip up, and so that's going to be a big question. You know, can they take those steps forward and build on things rather than two steps forward, one step back? I don't know. We'll see. Like I say, it's what USC should do and what they end up doing, and sometimes they're not one in the same. Yeah. But we got a question on YouTube from AKA Boone who says, "Are we going to get any special guests on Tunnel Vision in the future?" We've had special guests, and uh, we'd like to do more. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do, what do you guys thought? You want to get some? I mean, it's sure. usually the season can be busy, uh, so it could be hard. But, like, I think during fall camp might be kind of fun to get, you know, someone on. We get another reporter, get, you know. I mean, let's not forget we've been in a pandemic, so that's part of the reason. We, we're just now, this is special guesting me being in this <laughs> yeah. room, so. 
Shaka being yeah. next to, to Ryan is a big deal. We've so done, baby you know, steps. We've done, you know, a bunch with just uh, Zoom calls and stuff. You know, like I think Bill Plaschke was the latest one. Or you know, Lin- Lindsay Gottlieb. I, mean, I don't remember. I think Plaschke was more recent. Okay, yeah. He doesn't remember because he went on vacation from then. I mean, I no memories of actual USC <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. Just Greece. It's By the way, Bill Plaschke had mind. very glowing things to say about both Shotgun and Keeley. So, really? like, yeah, just, I was at the wedding with him at, you know, Lindsay Theory's wedding. And he just was like, oh, Shotgun. Because, you know, you work at the LA Times. It's a good thing. Keely, man, she's just really good. You know, so he was very complimentary to both of you guys. So. He's always been a very nice fellow. So super nice, it. super nice guy. It's so funny how like people like you put that story. I was like, oh, I hate that guy. Blah blah. blah. I'm like, yeah. I mean, you might not like his opinion and stuff, but if you met him, you're like, oh, he's a nice guy. Uh, more rapid fire questions from Gary on YouTube says, "Who are USC's next two or three best interior defensive linemen after the loss of Jay Toya?" Yeah, I mentioned him earlier, but Jamar Sakona and Kobe Pepe are going to have to step up. Yep. You know, that's a big question mark. The the Family Feud podcast this week is a defensive preview going into fall camp. We talk a lot about Extensively. the nose tackle, defensive tackle spots. And those two guys, at least one of them has to step up and be in the rotation. And the other guy you're really looking at and we're really curious about going into fall camp is Ishmael Sofsher, the Alabama transfer. He had the compartment leg syndrome. Uh, he had to have surgery on both his legs in the spring, so he it was not available. It, you know, we did see him out and was a little sweaty after the last PRP, so maybe so did maybe. a little, little bit of action out I heard there. Heard he did a little bit. So Keely tried to get something out of Kobe Pepe. He's like, "Yeah, you got to talk to him." <laughs> he brought it up himself, so then I wanted to ask a follow up. I'm just saying, got to be a reporter. Oh, we got a question from Jasper Smith, Ryan. You kind of alluded to this already, but he wanted to know who steps at wider steps up at wide receiver outside of Drake London. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to look to Brew McCoy. He's probably going to be the number two at this point. I mean, I like Kyle Ford a lot. You know, you mentioned Gary Bryant Jr. You know, Katie Nixon is a, the transfer coming in. Um, you Curious know, about Taj Washington. Yeah, Michael Jack, Taj Washington, Michael Jackson looked good. Um, you know, Man Jack. I mean, I think there's a lot of options there. You, and you just pulled a Clay Hilton. <laughs> he said, said everybody. All of them. Yeah, just list everyone at the position. But you didn't put A in front of it. You got a you gotta Michael Jackson. Yeah. You got a <laughs> Joseph Man Jack. Uh, but, you know, Slovis, when I talked to him about it, he was very impressed with all of the young guys, the way they've been coming in. If he calls some kind of workout, they're all there. Hmm. Uh, but I I kind of think Brew and, uh, and, and Ford are going to be – um, you know, the guys up there. I, I wanted it to be Katie Nixon. I, I, and just when I watched in the spring, it just wasn't, I don't know, maybe it, it was wasn't just the spring. It just, yeah, there's, he still has an opportunity, but uh, I just wasn't seeing something like jump out at me when I, you know, when I watched Keontae Ingram's like something jumped out. I'm like, okay, I could see that. I, I just didn't see it for Nixon, but you know, maybe he'll see, he'll show some more in the fall. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brew McCoy is the easy answer because he's already produced some, you know, had a couple touchdown catches last year. Kyle Ford is another guy who's on my, I got to see it before yep. I'm, I'm willing to put stock into it. Um, love the kid. Great kid. Love talking to him. I talked to him last week. We'll have a story on him in a couple of days. But with guys that are coming off a second ACL injury, I want to see him on the field and see him, him moving. And, you know, if it, the fluidity is back to where it was before the injuries. But Taj Washington, as, as Keely mentioned, he's the guy I'm really intrigued by. You know, All-American status as a freshman, a freshman All-American at Memphis. And I've heard positive things from from a, a couple of the people that have seen the PRPs and stuff. You know, so he's making a, an impact already. Heard positive things about Joseph Manjack as well. So yeah. you know, the the freshman who doesn't, it does not look like a football player. 
just facially, he doesn't look like a football player. You look at him. He looks like not, a soccer player. But but he goes out and puts up big numbers. So, you know, he's going to be interesting. Another guy that we'll get our first look at in, in fall camp as well. Yeah. I think I put something in the war room like a few weeks back about like just I'd heard some things like, hey, watch out for Man Jack. I'm like, oh, okay. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, his tape is incredible. Mike Jack, Man Jack. Drake, Jack. Every, All the Jacks. You know, there's a lot of Jacks on this team. <laughs> uh, we got a question on Facebook again from Gary who says, with the addition of Clay McGuire and the shortcomings last season, will Keaton Slovis go under center on short yardage plays? Guys, it, it, we took a two-month break and it only took <laughs> a go, a one hour to get an under we center question. We had to put question. that one up there. I know. We did. In the spring, we saw them do some different things. We saw the counters off of plays that we've been kind of wondering where it's been at in the short yardage situations. That tells me that Clay McGuire is having an impact on Graham Harrell. Clay McGuire coached Graham Harrell. He coached with Graham Harrell. And now he's coaching under Graham Harrell. So I think there is a lot more respect there than Graham Harrell would have for any other offensive line coach that comes in. And I think that, that Clay McGuire, since he's the only difference on, on the offensive staff, Seth Dagey was already there, he just got bumped up, um, that he's the one that's having an impact on that play calling. Now, do they continue what they did in the spring? That's a big question as far as their practice habits as well. But on short yardage situations, they did some things and were really successful with it, did some different things. Will they continue that? I think you saw Clay McGuire's impact there. So I wouldn't put it past them to, to go under center or do some different things. I think it's something that, that Clay McGuire, because that's something I asked him immediately. Yeah. And he said, me and Graham are going to have a discussion about that. Yeah. So you know, I think that he's got Graham's ear and Graham trusts him. So that's something I would not be surprised by. Yeah, but I would, if you're like looking for that, think about, you know, you went through food analogy. This is like a little spice there that's sprinkled in. This is not like dumping salt, all, you know, all over. Like this is going to be a sprinkled in thing if it's in there at yeah, all. Don't expect any eye formation. And, yes. You know, like, fullback so fullbacks are back. Like, who are they recruiting at fullback? No, no that's not like, no. <laughs> Uh, we got a question on YouTube from Walker Lamer who says, "Do does USC have an O-line that holds up against serious teams? That's the real question. I think no. it is a real question. The answer's yeah. no until they prove it. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. I mean, they, they could. Uh, I mean, like if Cortland Ford ends up being your start left tackle and you say he's a stud. like and you, If Monheim and Collier can push those guys, that's really important, I think, to, to put pressure on... Jalen McKenzie, put pressure on Liam Jimmins, Andrew Voorhees, the three other guys on that offensive line. We know Brett Elon is going to be at center. Justin Dedich is going to be in the mix you know, as, as the backup center and at one of the guard spots. But can those, those redshirt freshmen push those older guys, create more competition, create you know, the urgency that I can't let this guy get by me, I might get benched. That, that needs to be there. And I think the fact that they're actually going to have – they had a spring camp. They're actually going to have a fall camp. It's going to really benefit the offensive line. That's something they didn't have last year. And all those guys that I just mentioned all moved positions. Yeah. So no one was in the same position they had played the previous year last season. So I think the fact they needed those camps, and they didn't get those to kind of gel and do everything else. So I think they got a good opportunity to take some steps forward. We'll see, though. Yeah, I think that the issue is you can have – you can have a like mediocre offensive line game against Oregon State or a bunch of the teams on the schedule and be fine. But if you play Notre Dame and the offensive line's not playing well, you're not going to do well. So, yeah, that's that's where it's going to matter is when you're playing those tougher teams. Utah's defensive front, like, hey, the offensive line plays poorly, probably not going to win that game. But you can play poorly against Arizona and win that one. Yeah, yeah. you can run for, what, negative yardage or whatever it was <laughs> against Washington State because you can throw all over them right. and it's fine. But – when you get a team that has elite, has actual pass rushers and you know can get to the quarterback, 
you're going to have to be able to run the ball too. We have a couple of Pac-12 questions. First one is from Coley White, who says, "Better record at the end of the year, Stanford or UCLA?" UCLA. UCLA. Yeah, I th- I think Stanford. And I'm usually wrong with them, like as far as like <laughs> taking a step back, like then they like do well. But this is, I think there's a there's a, yeah, this program's deteriorating. I believe so. Wow. UCLA is on the way up. I think Stanford's going more down. But even so, if just kind of stay. Now Stanford went what four and two last year, and like they didn't they didn't get to practice either. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, Santa Clarita. Yeah. So like County. Yeah. But I, my guess is it's going to be UCLA. I look at it as veteran quarterback versus young quarterback, you know, yeah. Dorian Thompson Robinson, you expect him to take another step forward and and lead UCLA to finally a winning record. And Davis Mills is gone. Uh, Okay. Boone says, who's the biggest contender to win the South? Arizona state. If they're not, everything's not looming over them too much. Yeah, there's a lot of looming, but you know Utah's going to be good. You got um, the the transfer quarterback um, b- b- uh, from Baylor. Yeah, um, blank on his name. Ch- yeah. Chase. Some, oh, yeah, no. I can't remember. Um, crap, what is it? Don't worry about <laughs> Charlie. Charlie. <laughs> Charlie Brewer. Charlie Brewer. Yes. Uh, so I, you know, they brought in a bunch of good transfers. Obviously, you had the tragedy at running back, but the, you know that's. Um, I mean that that's just terrible. But I think you're going to see uh, Utah be really good too. USC gets Utah at home. They play Arizona State on the road. Um, but USC, Utah, and Arizona State, I think, would be the ones with UCLA kind of like a dark horse. UCLA, watch out for them. Yeah, they're definitely a dark horse. Shotgun I mean, prediction this early. Look now, UCLA has that won an out-of-conference game under Chip Kelly, and they have— It'll happen this year. Yeah, they, well, they have Hawaii, Fresno State, and LSU uh, at home. So they go 3-0. They could go three now, but they've got they're like zero and nine in out of conference or zero and six or whatever out of conference game. So like going three and zero would be tough, but we'll see. LSU is super talented, um, but they got a lot of turmoil and stuff too. So will this be the year for Chip? We shall see. Yeah. Uh, Gary has a challenge for us. He says, name one player poised to surprise in two thousand twenty one, whether that player is on offense, mm-hmm. defense, or special teams. Poised to surprise, hmm. if used. If used, Malcolm Epps. I think he can be a red zone weapon. Is yeah. that a surprise, though? We're expecting to, that. Who is? USC yeah, fans don't know, don't know anything about him. Okay, I'm just saying. You look at him and you say, weapon. Yeah. It's not surprising. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to go with, like, Cortland Ford. Just from looking at him, like, I think it's going to be... I think he's going to be I think really that's good. a worse answer, Ryan. <laughs> it's okay. Just because we have seen people doesn't mean... <laughs> okay, fine. I mean, you won't fine. be surprised because you just saw him two days ago, but... Okay, fine. No, I mean... Wouldn't would you be surprised if he's like wow he's like the next first round offensive lineman for USC? Sure, but he's the heir apparent. It looks like at left tackle, so that's still a surprise for my guy. Okay. three star guy. Fine, fine, sure, yes. I'm I mean, being say, like, very critical. I'm sorry, Gary Bryant Jr. Like if he like runs for a couple of, like kickoff return touchdowns or something. Is that a surprise though? He was a four star. He was the. <laughs> Like what? Who could it be? Like, be a surprise uh, if uh, Gavin Morris comes and, and plays. Like, yes, that would be a surprise. Hey, that Keontae that's all touchdown that in the spring game. He he ran. I believe he tore his hamstring. Or no, he he pulled it. Gavin did on Gavin that play. Did, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ryan, I don't know if you want to load more. Just go into rapid oh, let's fire. Let's just do the rapid. Okay, fire, sounds yeah. good. Uh, Joshua Smith wanted to know: Will Max Gibbs get on the field in 2021? We need him in the interior O line. No. No. It's quick. Okay. He wasn't even starting like at Bosco, right? Like he wasn't playing. He's got to. He's got to change his body shape yeah. first. So that's going to be a first redshirt year. He's the guy you look at and go potential, but he needs a redshirt year to to work on his body. Yeah, hundred percent. He needs a redshirt year. Tony says, "Is this USC's easiest schedule in years?" Yes. <laughs> I mean, does last year count? Uh, if you don't count last no. year, then yes. Yeah. 
Andrew says, uh, who looks the fastest on the team? Well, they all just, walk by. Just so we straight can... looks. Taj, Taj Washington looks fast. I don't know why. I just look at him like, that guy looks fast. His You're hair is like kind that. of pointing this way or something. Yeah, we, we, we see them walk from one place to the other. We, uh, there's no, there's nobody like in the cartoon where their hair is just yeah, straight back. Because they've been like Some guy's hair is back like, oh, he must have ran really fast. <laughs> we did hear a lot of noises at the end of uh, yesterday's PRP. I was like, I wish we could see what's happening. That's when the best stuff happens. Yeah. Uh, Jasper says, want to know who's going to win the North, your predictions. But also, let's not forget Keenan Kristen, the actual sprinter on the team. Yeah, yes. he would probably be the fastest. Uh, I mean, I think Oregon's the favorite. I Washington could take a step back, too. Just you're, I'm just not sure what. With Jimmy Lake and stuff going on there. We'll see. I mean, Chase Garber's back at Cal, my favorite. But I think <laughs> Oregon, Oregon's still going to – they're the most talented team. I think they'll be the favorite. I, I don't have anyone right now. I would have, I'm going to dig in a little bit more to the North teams going into Pac-12 Media Day. So maybe I can answer that better next week. But Oregon just off the top of my head. But last year I did predict that Oregon would not win the North. So I want that pointed out. <laughs> they won the conference. But they didn't win the North. <laughs> True. I pointed out that they wouldn't win the North. I didn't point out that they wouldn't win the conference. <laughs> Eric Dunn wanted to know if there's concern from us uh, about USC's offensive line recruiting. Can't seem to gain any traction. I mean, as much concern as there has continued to be for five years now, basically. Yeah. I, well, I guess it's continued to, to increase. But, but yeah, I, I think the only thing that I'm a little bit less concerned than last year. How about that? Because the three-star guys that they've gotten from that 2020 class, a couple of those guys are like, those guys can actually right. be dudes. Yeah, yeah. But, you, not... but you still should be able to get the five-star guys, too, to come to USC. It's it, The offensive line recruiting, they haven't been able to get their top targets. Yeah. Whether they be four-star, five-star guy, whatever, they haven't been able to get their top targets for the last half decade. I personally don't get concerned of those things. I don't lose sleep over that. But, you know, I can see what you're saying. And <laughs> yes. Yeah, so yes. Mike says, who do you all think will be the most talked about player on SC's team before a game is played? Keaton Slovis. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. like, it's you know, he's a like Heisman. You know, he's a Davy Award uh, watch list. He's on Nobody the Maxwell the watch, watch list. list. <laughs> everyone's, on a, everyone's on a watch list. You know what's list. so ironic? But just like, he's a Heisman trophy <laughs> candidates right. as far as the odds and stuff as far as people are putting money on his name yes and people are talking about him as a first round pick and the fact that last year he didn't have a great year i think that means he'll be talked about a lot this next sure, month yeah. and a half i i despise watch list and i've written like two watch list stories it's already kind of hilarious it is very funny i'm like yeah i want to put in there but i think these are terrible <laughs> editor's note yeah because like uh was it uh marquis lee won the uh, Bolitnikov yeah. or whatever, and he wasn't on the watch list. And the watch list was like 400 people long. You know, so. <laughs> Josh on Facebook wanted to know, when can fans expect to see K Taylor Katoa contribute on the field? Ooh. I think you see him on special teams this year. I mean, he obviously had an injury last season, but he was practicing. He's with the team now. So, um, you know, sh shake off the rust basically during that, that half season last year. I think he'll be back and can be contributing a contributor on special teams. Is he going to get in the mix at the starting linebacker spots? Uh, that one, I got to see more from him in practice. Yeah, but we've seen a bunch of injuries happen there too. Sure. So he could be in there at some point. But yeah, you got he's got to prove himself there. Phil on YouTube wanted to know uh, who are going to get the most snaps on, at the cornerback position. Who is Chris Steele and Isaac Taylor Stewart? I think the, I think Isaac Ta Taylor Stewart took a big step forward in the spring, and if he continues, if he shows some consistency, I think he's a guy that can move his way into people going first round, second round, third round. Where does he fit? Just, I think that'll be the talk about him after this season. 
if he continues what he did in the spring and shows consistency. He's got to have some, you know, just performing on the field, but he looks the part, and I think that's something. He looks that, the yeah. part, and in the spring, he took that step forward and played the part, actually. Yeah. He, was, he was good when he was in there. So I, I think Chris Steele has kind of locked down the starter spot. So yeah. I want to see what Josh Jackson's able to do. Cause, he's so intriguing. Yeah. I thought, because normally when guys switch sides, it's like, okay, you're going to get lost in the depth no, chart, but he, he made an impact in spring. Eric Dunn said, who will lead the team in sacks this year? Drake Jackson. Yeah, I think I'll go with Drake Jackson, but maybe Corey Foreman right behind him. No. Well, uh, <laughs> Nick Figueroa will be – Nick Figueroa could beat out Drake Jackson because it's going to be – depend. You know, who's the offensive line going to – if they get a good pass rush and they're consistent, who are you going to double team? Mm, if so you're you, double teaming Drake Jackson, that's going to leave those opportunities for Nick Figueroa. You get the pass rush unit on there that has Corey Foreman, that has Hunter Eccles, you think it can cause some havoc. We've got a lot of questions on both platforms. Sorry, Periscope, by the way. No one really monitored you this sorry, episode. Ryan dropped his duties once again. It's okay. <laughs> you're, we you're we, loading. A, we put a lot of graphical questions on the graphical screen. Graphical questions, That's, that's yes. what I want. I want to see people's yeah, you know, but pictures up on the screen. I that's think at I, this point, Periscope's used to being ignored a little bit. It's kind of our brand at this yeah. point, so it's fine. Um, we had a question from a lot of people wanting to know, do we actually think Texas and Oklahoma would go to the SEC? I mean, yeah, I think there's potential there for sure. Uh, I mean, that that's huge, you know, that this uh, this could happen. And I, I mean, that's going to be an earthquake for all of college football if something like that does. But there's been some reports out of Texas that like they're definitely going to leave. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's, this is kind of crazy. But there's a you know, when the TV contracts up, you could see some some fireworks there. That'd be pretty cool to watch. What would that even do for the college football playoff, though? I mean, really, what should happen? It, if there was a college football czar, what should happen is that happen. Basically, you get sixteen teams in that: the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, and then you just have two have two teams come from it. Yeah, you just have four super conferences. You split off from the the rest of the conferences. You basically make it, you know, tier A and tier B. Um, and if it was really fun, there'd be relegation, like in soccer. Relegation would be move good. some teams up and down. That'd be really fun. <laughs> the problem, um, is, I mean, but that's not going to happen. Texas and Oklahoma could definitely leave to the SEC. Some people were like, "Why? Why wouldn't they consider the Pac-12? They come out here and dominate. Money. Why would they consider? Money. Why would they consider going to the SEC instead of just dominating the Big 12? Yeah, it's all about the money. SEC is making a lot more money than the Big 12 is right now. We have a lot of questions about that second safety spot as well. They want to know who's going to replace Talanohu Funga. Big question mark. I think there's there's several contenders there. Um, I think Chase Williams took a big step forward. I think Xavier Alford is, is a guy that could take a big step forward, the Texas transfer. And I'm curious to see what happened, what Chris Thompson looks like. The you know He played as a true freshman last year at Auburn. Um, I'm curious to see what he looks like. He's got the, the size, the frame that you would look for in a safety body. But you know i got to see him moving around myself before I make a prediction that he's going to jump in there. Sergio on Facebook want to know, will Raymond Scott get more playing time? He's going to be on special teams again. Um, does he get in at linebacker? Is are they going to be creative and use some different packages where they move the linebackers around? Check out the Family Feud podcast. Talk Plug. about some of those those Plug different it. possibilities at linebacker. But just off the top of my head, no, I think it's going to take an injury to get him on the field, which is what happened last year at Arizona, and he played yep. pretty well, and made yeah. some plays. Yeah, Mike on Facebook also wanted to know: Do you think Graham Harrell will finally rotate receivers? That's something Chuck and you and I have debated. I, I put that on there if you want to like, oh, load it up. There you so, go. Yeah. Even though Shaka looks I, I very think, frustrated at the question. <laughs> no, I kind of think they will. Like, what? I mean, they before they sort what of. What makes like, you think they will? 
because they because had they these said they would before. Yes. Well, they had this. They said <laughs> yes. they would before, but they had this established group where it was like you know everyone had their role. You know, Alan Rossi Brown, Tyler Vaughns. Michael but but their roles like, changed. Like now Alan Ross like, St. Brown became an outside guy. The roles changed. But the, the, the reason why they said they weren't rotating is because they're just so talented. Okay, so... so your team's that, not talented now then? Is that what they're saying? But no, but I'm saying, like, does that mean that suddenly all the talent is bunched up and there's not this big separation? No, I think that you would look at it and say, oh, well, Drake London's more talented than everybody. He's produced more, has experience, all those things. He's definitely going to be out there. Yeah, he's not rotating. And then I think you're going to get two to three other guys that are in the mix. Now, it's is there going to be a slot guy versus a big tight end? Do you use the big tight end in the slot? I mean, there's different ways they can go about it, but until they do it, I don't believe it. Yeah, there's just a lot more options. And like, you you know, you talk about the tight ends, maybe they get in there more. So you might be rotating more. I don't I mean, who knows? We don't, we don't know. But I, I, my gut is they will. Interesting. We'll see. I love a good fight, having you two back it's together. fighting. It's, just... it's a little bickering, you know. Uh, we got a lot of questions, too, about Bryce Young and the comment that uh, Nick oh. Saban made about the fact that apparently he's already making close to six figures or deep six figures. Yeah, uh, from close to seven figures. He said it was an ungodly amount closing in on seven figures. Oh, there we go. Thank you. If that's an ungodly amount, what is Nick Saban's $9 million he makes a year it's then? pretty ungodly, <laughs> but he's worth it. Name, image, and likeness, though. People want to know, uh, how does that work for Bryce Young that quickly? Um, for one, there's been no one that's that's confirmed that. So why wouldn't – if I'm Clay Helton, I might say, oh, Keaton Slow is just bumping up near that. Million dollars, yeah. Wh why would you not say that? Because then that's going to attract recruits going, oh, man, yeah, this guy's already earning that much? He hasn't started a game And he yet, hasn't right? done anything. So it, for one, it hasn't been confirmed. I'm not calling Nick Saban a liar, but – you know, he could be exaggerating potentially, but it, when you're in a small college town and you're going to be the face of the program, I think some people are trying to get in early on Bryce Young potentially and trying to, you know, earn, get a good investment there potentially. Maybe that's what's going on. But if you're the face of a national championship contender, there's a good chance you're going to make some money. He yeah. also signed with CAA, right? Yep. I think so. But he's, he's got like over a million followers on social media. I mean, that's what you have to look at. Like, that's if you, you could be a great player and you don't have, like, if you have a huge social media following, that's going to be money no matter what. Like, um, and you're a college football player, it's going to grow. All that stuff's going to grow. So, yeah, that's a that's a big deal. He's, even though he hasn't started a game, he does have a big following. He's, you know, going to be a, he's a, he's a brand just being at Alabama. So, uh, and he had deal. a big following coming out of high school already. Uh, yeah. That's only grown, obviously, since going to Alabama. But then you combine the Alabama brand with it. The potential he could be leading one of the top five teams. If I'm a company looking for a player, that's the type of player you're looking for. Yeah. Because yep. there's guys that, I mean, we think we talked about in one of the podcasts where, like, it's like a walk on wide receiver at Kansas State, but he's got like a million TikTok followers. So, like, he can make money, even though right. he's not Ryan's a big all about the TikTok now. He really is. He just learned what it is. And now he's like, oh, this TikTok thing. The youth. But the youth. Whatever. You got like a million followers on whatever platform, you can make money off of that. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're he doesn't seeing, play, but he's going to make money. You're seeing that with some of the women's basketball players because they've had a lot of those players have had big followings. You're going to see that more with the basketball players as it comes towards the season because a lot of those guys. Whether the overtime videos, the highlight clips and stuff, they get there's a big um, social media following for basketball worldwide. So those guys have, you know, the guy like Mikey Williams, who's a 2023 that USC's one of the top 10 players that USC's in the mix for. But he's already got so many followers already. He's had that many since he was a freshman in high school or had a number since he was a freshman in high school. So those guys are going to be able to make some money, which may keep some of those guys in college 
versus some of these leagues that we're seeing the you know the NBA G League the overtime league those different things where hey we'll pay you money to come play in our league well I can go to college and still make a bunch of money from NIL so maybe I'll go to college instead <laughs> yeah. yeah we had an off topic question from Tito who says any good recommendations from Trader Joe's snack wise ooh um, I mean always a fan of the maple cookies. <laughs> maple cookies are there's a lot of good cookies like just go to the cookie aisles like are usually above i mean just so like technically count as a dessert uh i would think so they're cookies you right said snack i was just oh wondering. oh like snack stuff um that, desserts are a snack okay. i would think the the apparently i'm very hard the on chocolate uh yeah man the chocolate <laughs> uh cups the peanut butter cups ones oh those are so, so good, good. Um, i do like there's like the pretzels that have peanut butter inside those are those are pretty awesome there you go. Peanut nice. And even like, if you like those little veggie stick things, those, those, those are good, are good too. All righty. I think we made it through all our questions, unless I missed anything shotgun spradling. I don't think I did. Um, someone asked me what would be my desert island ball cap. Uh, <laughs> I do have a number of baseball caps. Um, I think I would have to go with like an Oregon fluorescent green, fluorescent oh, lime. strategy. So that someone would see me yeah. <laughs> on a desert island. <laughs> That's a great point. I like you wouldn't go like an orange one or something? Like a... I, I do actually have Florida a fluorescent um, Oregon hat. So, oh, okay. Didn't Craig Nivar call out Shotgun for his Marlins hat? He, he said something about me being the baseball guy. I got several baseball hats, several college it's true. hats. So, yeah, trash pandas. Yeah, Ooh, Bill Plasky talked about it, like uh, he just dresses so well, but then he wears that backwards <laughs> baseball cap. It was just his thing. I was like, yep, that's his thing. It's his brand. Alrighty, guys, uh, we'll be back on Wednesday for another edition of Television straight off of. Not only a PRP, but Pat told me today. So I'm yes. sure we'll have a lot to talk about. We'll be coming right from USC. Yeah, so we'll all be sweating gross. So yeah. just for y'all to, uh, to we'll be see. running here to get yeah, here on time. Exactly. All righty. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap this one up? So good to be back. back. Love it. Thank you guys for watching. And uh, if you're watching live, awesome. So many good questions and calls. Love all that stuff. So thank you guys for making it. That's way more fun. It's an yeah. interactive show. We so love, we talking, love to talking to you guys. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening.